everybody, Scott Burnside back for another early morning edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. Day six of the NHL's Festival of Hockey will unfold later today. It's not only been a festival of hockey, but it has become now a carnival of drama. Do you like that Aaron Porch line in Columbus? Do you like that carnival of drama? Are you with me? Uh, yeah, I love that. That should be in a headline or a banner somewhere. <laughs> I'm thinking of maybe getting a tat later because I live in Georgia, so I can get. I could have got a tat a while ago, but uh, yes, a carnival of drama, and you and I are going to talk a- <sighs> about a lot of it. But uh, like, it, honestly, every day. You know, we Caroline is the only team that has moved on, having swept the New York Rangers. Uh, and on Wednesday night, the two Goliaths rocked again by the two Davids. And, of course, we're talking about the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Edmonton Oilers. So many jokes, I think, going into, you know, the, the return to play and the eight qualifying rounds, Aaron, about, well, you know, what would happen if, you know, the two 12 seeds, Chicago and Montreal, teams that were sellers at the trade deadline, teams that were, you know, had packed it in organizationally and were already looking toward next season. And all of a sudden they right. get invited into this tournament and there's some grumbling. Right. I mean, some GMs were like, well, you know, they're only in because they're big markets and it's good for TV. And, you know, they should have gone with 22 teams or 20 teams instead of 24. And here they are, both Edmonton and Pittsburgh on the ropes after both, uh, losing twin 4-3 games uh, on Wednesday evening. Let's. I wanted to ask you about Pittsburgh-Montreal specifically because I, and I don't know whether, I don't want to presume for you, but... Uh, you've covered the Columbus Blue Jackets for a long time. I wonder if you're seeing in the Montreal Canadiens a little bit of what we saw in the Columbus Blue Jackets in the first round against Tampa last year, which is a, just a team that they've been given hope and they believe that they can pull this off. I don't. You, is that a reach? Uh, no, I don't think it's a reach at all. I mean, I, I think there's certainly Columbus played Tampa in a different way than Montreal's playing Pittsburgh, but in the sense that Montreal is sort of freed up loose by this this um one of the it's one of the great uh freeing things in sports to have nothing to lose right if they lose the series they're supposed to lose the series but why not scare the hell out of them and see where it goes from there i also think this and i you know montreal was a huge disappointment this year that that team's not not so bad a team that they should have been dumping at the trade deadline because they knew they were out of it in the east um, and so this four month reset, I think it helps some teams in a lot of ways where you start over again, you, you play and you go, well, oh, this is what it was supposed to look like <laughs> from the start. Anyways, you're supposed to be fast. There's tons of skill on that team. Uh, John Druin looks like the player you expect him to be, but yeah, they, I, I just think they're playing very carefree, passionate, but carefree, relaxed, hockey like again it's fun sometimes if nobody has expectations for you to take on goliath and kind of kick him in the knee and keep kicking him in the knee and see where it goes from there i and i don't i don't know why it can't continue in games four or five for them the way that they're playing yeah, it, you know what I mean. You you raise an excellent point because organizationally, I mean, there was a lot of discussion about whether GM Mark Bergevin would would 
cut that roster down even further at the trade deadline. Yep. I mean, there was he moved Ilya Kovalchuk to Washington, and but there was a lot of discussion about Thomas Tatar and Jeff Petrie and interest in both those guys who have another year left on their deal and did they fit and should you know would he have had a better return if he moved them because of their right. uh, contract status? And now Jeff Petrie scores his second game-winning goal of the series. Uh, you're like, okay, well, so you know, listen, Mark Bergevin, he takes a lot of shots in Montreal, right? And and some of yeah, them are oh. deserved, but there it is. Yep. There's there's Jeff Petrie. You know the, the what's that old chestnut? The best trade you you make is the one yep. you don't make, right. sort of thing. And I wonder what you think. Um, you know, there's so much uh, pressure on that Pittsburgh team, and they remind me a little bit of the Penguins last year against the Islanders that just seemed, man, they seemed to to wilt in the face of any kind of adversity. They're up 3-1 midway through the game. They actually get the power play going last night, uh, two for three after going one for 12 in the first two games. And they're up 3-1, and you're thinking, this is how it, you know, this is them doing what they need to do. And, and yeah. all of a sudden, Montreal storms back. Do you make a goaltending change? You know, listen, Matt Murray gets, you know, the winning goal goes in off the side of his face from a horrific angle from Jeff Petrie. I don't know. But at this stage, you go to Tristan Jari, who I think has was their best goaltender during the regular season for long stretches anyway. Yeah, you know, it's what, what occurred to me last night. And I so I grew up covering baseball. And the old adage in baseball is if you've got a liability on your on your team defensively, the ball is going to find him all day. In other <laughs> words, if you're trying to play a right fielder in center field, uh, that that's where the ball that's where the action is going to be all day today. Like you just there's some karma in the game. You can't get away from it. And as I watched the the Penguins game last night, that Johnson and Schultz defensive pair was it was a real liability and because there it was such a glaring liability it just seems like they're always on the ice yeah. it just seems like they were always out there even though their ice time I think was probably third tier on the team should have been anyways um, there's just such a shaken confidence with those two and it's it's so strange to me because I've seen Jack Johnson I think at his best Yes. When his when his dinner is cut into small pieces for him because his other partner is is solid and does this. And if you if you prepare him and put him in that place, he can be a really good player, especially in the playoffs. But when you start expecting too much from him, there you could see rattled confidence last night. I, there were some plays he got away with. There was one shift late in the game. I think he coughed the puck up like three different times. They they survived yes. it, but you're just like, oh. And if you're, you know, if you're the the Penguins, it just seems like that pair is always up too frequently. So I don't know what they can do back there to change that. It does feel like there's something missing. That team, I, I mean, the Penguins could win the next two games and, and blow their way into the conference finals again. Um, but but there are times where you look at them and you really feel like something foundational is the sconce. Yeah. No, it's I it's a uh, and again I I thought to, that Pittsburgh was going to be a better team. I just liked what Mike Sullivan had done this year and you know Phil Kessel ends up in Arizona and they just I just thought they were a team that might have learned from being absolutely railroaded by the Islanders in the first round last year and and they you know, they just look a little bit like that right now, which is a bit alarming. You know, Evgeny Malkin has one assist. It was a great pass on the Hornquist goal last night. But, you know, he's he's just not 
you know, they're just too good to to be in this position. But I I, I got to tell you, get full credit to Montreal for totally. where they're at, and it's been fun to watch. Um, speaking of fun to watch, uh, we you know the East has been interesting as we mentioned. Carolina's already cooling their heels, waiting to see what happens after sweeping the Rangers. The Florida Panthers, after I carved them. Uh, <laughs> must have been in a bad mood after game two. But anyway, they bounce back, force a game four on Friday. But to me, the the heavyweight series, maybe of all eight of the qualifying series, uh-huh. resumes tonight at 8 o'clock. And I think the first two games between Columbus, the team you cover for the Athletic, of course, and the Toronto Maple Leafs, I just think it has been the closest to right in the heart of playoff action, the emotion, back and forth, the Leafs, you know, uh, must-win situation, uh, of course, tempered by the what appeared initially to be a serious injury to Jake Muzzin and, and who was stretched off the ice at near the end of Game 2. It looks, early reports, that, um, you know, that there's not going to be long-lasting um, damage as a result of that awkward fall. He's back with the team quarantining in, in the bubble. But, Aaron, I'm wondering what you what you think, because to me, the headline should have been, what what was Torts' Torts's line? The Leafs were good. We sucked, or something like that. We sucked. Yes, <laughs> yeah. times four. He said it four di- four different times. <laughs> I got to tell you, Scotty, he wasn't much more chatty yesterday. <laughs> um, the old man is pissed off right now. Yeah. You know, I mean it. It it's almost unfathomable to me, but it sure looked in Game Two as though the Blue Jackets thought that Game One was so kind to them, came so easily to them, that that's just what's going to happen here in Game 2. And they got jumped. And so far this series, you know, this one of the, things, one of the reasons this, season, this series is so sexy is there's two just polar opposite teams. There's a team with, with great defense, uh, Columbus, a team that defends really hard and, and really well. And then there's a team with just a, a blinding array of, of offensive stars, Toronto. So it's a clash of of these two approaches. And I think the the first two games have done nothing to sort of settle that score. Columbus established itself in game one, um, really kept Toronto's guys from from, from going. Uh, Austin Matthews was fantastic, as you would expect, but Tavares, Marner, Nylander, all those guys were quiet. And then in game two, Kyle Clifford, I mean, th- this, is, this is what the playoffs are, and it, it's so awesome. A guy like Kyle Clifford, fourth-line guy, uh, trade deadline pickup, it comes from, I don't know, suburban Markham, Ontario, and absolutely destroys Dean Kukan like two minutes into the game, and the die was cast. The Here the Leafs are going to be much more physical. Uh, they had room for their stars to, to play and skate and have fun again. And game two was all Leafs, like Columbus was, was, was their game in game one. So what happens tonight in game three? I, I don't think we have a compelling argument. One way or the other, you expect a pushback from Columbus. Can Toronto sustain what they've got? I think now uh, it gets really, really interesting because obviously, quite obviously, tonight is enormous. Well, and, and uh, to me, what's so fascinating about this series, just on so many levels, it, you know, we know the history of the Blue Jackets and what they did last year against Tampa, and so their sort of their willingness to embrace this kind of, you know, underdog role, and and also the the history of the Maple Leafs, right? I mean, they, uh, I think this is you know 
one and done against Washington and two straight seven-game series losses to Boston in the Austin Matthews era. Series in both cases that sort of got away from them. And, you know, I, I thought their bounce-back game in game two was, was of course, enormous. But I, I just wonder, like, the, it's going to ratchet up for Sheldon Keefe. He's not going to have Jake Muzzin for the rest of this series. We know that. Um, do you think, in terms of what John Tortorella can do, right? You, there's only so many th- you know levers you can pull in terms of trying to coax more offense from your team. It, it is what it is, sort of. But what do you, if you had to imagine, what's the best case scenario for Columbus in terms of you know counter punching in in what has been early on a punch counter punch series? Yeah, well, I mean, I think I think you're going to have a hard time not seeing a physical outreach from them in this game. I think they tried to establish that early as Toronto kind of surprisingly did to them in game two. The the thing, you know, they've defended really well in the series Columbus has. They defended really well in game two. The problem is all they did was defend in game two. So this is a four-checking team that didn't four-check. And that when that's all you have, and, you know, Scotty, you look at their their roster, their lineup, there's a lot of really nice players, but at the forward spot, there's not a lot of individual skill greatness. There's a lot of really good complementary offensive pieces. Pierre-Luc Dubois is a hell of a player. Cam Atkinson, I could go on, um, but they don't have the singular talents that that Toronto does. So their offense is created off the forecheck, and when you don't have a forecheck, that is some ugly ass hockey, um, and that's what it was in game two. So you look for that. You one one of the things that John Tortorella always preaches, and I love it, is all you got to do is if you just put a camera on the blue ice in front of each goalie and rolled it, you could tell which team was more competitive by how they compete in the blue. And when Toronto is around Corpusalo, it should get nasty as hell. And when the puck is around Frederick Anderson, they should go at that with everything they've got because the scoring chances for them are so slim. So you almost want to see a combustibility from Columbus tonight that I think was missing in game two. Um, that game got off the rails and then early and they never got it back on. So I suspect they tried to establish themselves early tonight. Yeah. Have you watched uh, much or any of the round robin games? I, I ask because it, to me, I was talking to uh, Alain Vigneault, who in the bubble, the head coach of the Philadelphia Flyers, of course. And my sense is that the round robin teams are like, it's almost like their own bubble within a bubble because, you know, they play every third day. It's sort of like, right. oh, what are we doing here? You know, you got, you know, like, and I know Boston's disappointed now. They, you know, they lost to Tampa. They, you know, there's a team that, you know, of all the teams that sort of get shafted by this whole process, Bruins are the best team by a fair right. margin at the pause. And then they have to play the round robin. Now they're no good. And now, you know, they're likely, my guess is, probably going to be the fourth seed in the uh, Eastern Conference. Now, who knows who they draw and how that plays out. But uh, do you have you watched enough to say, you know what, I'm not all that interested in that? Or have you found it compelling in a different way? Well, I've watched it in sort of um, from the position, and I've wondered this from the start. I think I'm getting more and more convinced of it. I think these teams that are playing the qualifying series right now are at a huge advantage in the early stages of the first round, what will be called the first round. 
Uh, it's going to feel like the second round, but it's really the first round because they've been playing life or death hockey now for a full week, for a week and a, and a couple of days in some cases. I and and I you know it's sort of like it's kind of like the difference between the exhibition games and the qualifying round. Those went up a solid step and a half. I'm not sure that the the the, the teams that are playing just for seeding right now they know they're in. I don't think that urgency can be created like it is in these qualifying series. So I wonder what game one will feel like for those teams. Maybe what game two even will feel like for those teams against these teams that have basically a five-game, four- or five-game head start on playoff-style hockey. I'm, I think that's something I'm really going to be watching for because in the the games that I've watched, of the, the games for seeding, it looks like they're going pretty good, but it doesn't look like playoff fervor to me. Yeah, no, I think you're right. All right, Aaron Portsline, just before we send you on your way, who do you like to get Alexi Lafreniere? Edmonton, <laughs> Pittsburgh. Where do you like him better, the, the presumptive oh. number one pick? Edmonton or Pittsburgh with the number one pick? I can tell you there will be boots through TV screens in <laughs> central Ohio if he ends up in Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, because the the feeling here, if Columbus wins the qualifying round, of course, it's, it's all moot. But, you know, this is crazy, Scotty, because we, we, we've both covered struggling expansion hockey teams, right? You know what the process is like. And for Columbus, if they should lose this qualifying round and have a 12.5% chance to get Lafreniere, that is the fourth highest percentage chance they've ever had at the number one pick. And you think about the years that this franchise has had, right? <laughs> where you're, where it's hopeless by Thanksgiving. You're like past the gravy on Thanksgiving, and and you know your hockey team's out of it if you're Columbus, Ohio. That's depressing. Um, so for them, that's a that's a silver lining for the Rangers. That's a silver lining for a lot of these teams that got into the qualifying round and wouldn't have otherwise. Um, yeah, I think if you're Columbus and it's Edmonton or Pittsburgh that are going to get him, uh, they would say, okay, just go to Edmonton so we don't have to worry about you. It would be hard for really hard for people here to stomach the idea of that great young player, the next generation great player uh, in Pittsburgh pulling that sweater over his head for sure. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right, Aaron Port- Portsline, that has been stellar work early on a Thursday morning. Of course, you should always be reading Aaron for his coverage of the Blue Jackets uh, for The Athletic. Also, co-host of Front and Nationwide with Allison Lucan, also at The Athletic. Aaron, have a great day. I can't wait to see what happens in Game 3 tonight. And always great to catch up with you, my friend. Scotty B., thanks for having me, my man. Hope to see you soon uh, in the flesh in a smoky road bar somewhere. (laughs) You're a good man. Let's book it. All right. Take care, man. All right, and from east to west, we now head to the city of champions, Edmonton, Alberta. And our man on the ground there, one of our men on the ground there, I think they're all men who are there for us, Thomas Drance. Thomas, oh my gosh, yeoman work by you to get up so early in the morning after such an epic night at Rogers Arena. If there were fans there, I, what do you think the vibe would have been if there had been actual fans in that arena as the Chicago Blackhawks scored twice in the final six minutes to stun the Edmonton Oilers and take a 2-1 series lead there? Yeah, Scotty, thanks for having me. You know, it didn't occur to me until I got home 
after the game, to be totally honest with you, but I thought about all the times and, you know, having covered the Canucks for so long, uh, oftentimes Vancouver was on the receiving end of it. Uh, but <laughs> right. thinking about all the times in a Chicago Blackhawks home game where, you know, wearing those red sweaters, Jonathan Taves and company have just ripped opponents' hearts out in the playoffs, right? And what the building sounds like when they do it, you know, with Chelsea Dagger playing and 18,000 strong Blackhawks fans just going nuts. You know, to compare that with last night. And, and look, you know, I've watched 10 games now during the qualifying round. Like, I'm going constantly. I'm going sometimes three times a day. Uh, I, that's how much I've missed hockey. And I haven't really watched a game yet. Scott, that played out like that one. That was the lowest energy game that I've seen. That was the fewest hits, the, the least you could hear from the ice. Uh, you know, that, that finally felt to me like what I was worried return to play would look like, whereas everything else before it that preceded it, you know, even the, even the round-robin games I've seen have been dramatic, tense, had that playoff intensity, physicality. Uh, when I think back to that one, I think the Edmonton Oilers are going to regret it. I don't feel like it would have taken an awful lot for them to bury Chicago last night. And now they're really up against it, uh, facing two games that both are going to be must wins for them if they're going to advance to a playoff spot that was all but assured before the pause. Yeah, I, yeah uh, Thomas, I'm, I, I'm completely with you. That whole series is, has mystified me. Uh, it's just seemed so ragged to me and so sloppy. And, I, you know, both teams have been guilty of ridiculous penalties. Yeah. Like, I, like I, I'm watching I watch with my son. We watch all day, all day long. Awesome. You know, he's he's almost 18. He's a hockey guy. So but we watch, and I don't know how many times during that game last night, we're like, you know, Kyler Yamamoto or, uh, you know, pick a player. And you're like, why did you do that? Why did you take that penalty? What were you thinking there? And, and I I'm with you. I just sort of thought, you know, at the end of the day, push comes to shove. You know, the the Oilers took a 3-2 lead with, I think, 7.8 seconds left on a power play goal at the end of the second period. And I thought, okay, this is, you know, it's not pretty, but this is, you know, the Oilers are going to grind their way into the first round. And to, to watch... Uh, Chicago come back in that way. I, I want to ask. I want to take sort of approach it from two ways. Uh, when you look at this Oiler team, I, I mean, is this a is this a judgment on their leadership? Is it a judgment on their goaltending? What's when you look at that Oiler team? You say, well, how does how do, have you got yourself in this position? Yeah, I, I wonder if some of their bottom six guys aren't quite healthy right now. You know, I, I think about the game tying goal. And the puck rims up the wall, and Riley Sheehan, who's a veteran, defensively reliable centerman, but who missed the exhibition game, right? Hasn't played a ton, was pretty out of the flow of it because he wasn't, you know, playing. Like, he didn't play for 15 minutes or something before the moment happens. Puck rims up the wall, and he just can't control it along the boards. And that's not a play that Riley Sheehan... I've, I mean, I've watched Riley Sheehan play... Tons of games he played for the Panthers. Like I know him pretty well. And uh, yeah. that's not a play that he ever struggles to make. And and last night he just did. And it came at the wrong moment. And then the puck deflects in off Ethan Bear. Like, honestly, it just felt like two crazy bounces going Chicago's way. And, you know, if I was going to sort of indict 
the Oilers for anything. It would just have been the lack of discipline throughout the game. I mean, they really limited how much time Dreisaitl and McDavid would have, uh, you know, to make a difference in this game. And boy, did they, any time they had a chance to, uh, just by taking so many dumb penalties throughout the game. And, you know, after the first period, I thought, boy, this... This playoff game has the pace and intensity of the NHL All-Star game, right? Like that that was sort of <laughs> where right. I was at. And, <laughs> you know, I, I, I was in this sort of, I was almost making fun of the game from up there. And, and that's just, again, the result of me being a little bit spoiled because I've been really shocked by how good the hockey has been throughout the qualifying round, especially in the West so far. Like it's been riveting, even honestly, the round robin games and and not all of them but the ones that the colorado avalanche have played right there's at least been one team that's grinding the whole way uh, that just felt so so soulless as a game and i think the oilers in part lost discipline because they they knew it and, and you know it reminded me of like a stand-up comic who's bombing and can't get out of it <laughs> You know what I'm saying? And, and, and I mean great. that, too, yes. because they couldn't feed off the audience. There was no feedback loop to get them back into it. There was no booing after a bad hit, even. Like, there wasn't even negative feedback for them to, you know, utilize, for them to tap into, to sort of change the dynamic of the game. And, and so instead, I thought you got all these undisciplined moments in the second. And I just don't think they ever found a level... Uh, you know that they wanted and and I don't know that it was for lack of effort or lack of leadership I just think it, it, it was one of those sort of you know cyclical things like a self-fulfilling prophecy that they just didn't have it I don't think we will lack for soul or emotion in a game <laughs> I know you're going to be at later today in Edmonton and that's a, a series I've been I, I just had it's been riveting on so many levels of course with Calgary a chance to eliminate the Winnipeg Jets up 2-1 now they'll play the late game in Edmonton uh, tonight still no I know Paul Maurice sort of danced around the Mark Shifley Patrick Liney availability thing I, I mean I, I'm no doctor I don't even play one on TV but it does seem <laughs> like that either of them would return to the lineup would would be a bit of a surprise maybe liney less of a surprise mm. but um it, it my sense is the jets are going to have to dance with the, the 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 guys that they got right now and and they were blown out in a uh a game that was really close and then just sort of fell apart with a connor hellebuck miscue behind the net and they ended up losing game three by a 6-2 count and i look at this calgary team i wondered if they were at some point where they're going to ex- sort of reveal their identity because they're a skilled team. They're a team that should have done better than they did a year ago when they got waxed mm-hmm. by Colorado, the eighth seed in five games. And people were so dismissive of them coming into this qualifying round, loved the Jets. Um, what do you make of this? And, and you know, the emotion that will go into the first elimination game in this series. Do you see the Jets getting back up off the mat or, or is this really a Flames team that could, could put their foot down and, and and move into the first round feeling pretty good about themselves. It certainly felt like the Jets are overmatched here, right? Uh, I do think that they're just going to have too much trouble, as they did as Game 3 went along, containing a Calgary Flames team that still has all of their top-end talent, while this Jets team is a withered husk of even the team that, you know, sort of overcame everything they overcame to get to this point. Uh, That said, you know, you can't count out this Jets team. You know, before their first win, right, before game two, I went over and and looked at it and just compared their roster 
to what it looked like the last time they'd won a playoff game, which was in April of 2019. And, you know, they were down Kevin Hayes. I mean, you even forget that Kevin Hayes was a Jet, but Kevin Hayes, top six forward. Uh, Brian Little, key player. You know, four top four defensemen in Truba, Ben Sherratt, Dustin Bufflin, Tyler Myers. Like, just the list goes on and on. Like, it is insane that they've you know, that they were even in this tournament considering that. And then you take out Shifley and Lion A. I mean, it's just savage. But, you know, I do think it's a microcosm of something this Jets team has done all year, which is just sort of, you know, be the, uh, what is it, the Black Knight from Monty Python, right? Like, they're just sort (laughs) of... I'm not dead yet. (laughs) They're just sort of, it's all just a scratch to the Winnipeg Jets, right? They're figuring out how to keep coming and, you know, I've been really impressed by the likes of Nikolai Ehlers in this tournament. I've been really impressed with Connor and Wheeler. Like, they still have the talent to play here. I'm not sure if they have the defensive quality. And, you know, credit Calgary. Like, one thing I'll say about this Flames team is, you know, if I were to do a ranking based on what I can hear from the ice, and I can hear a fair bit uh, of who's the best trash-talking team in the West, (laughs) it's definitely the Calgary (laughs) Flames. Like, this team, this team for sure doesn't seem like a group that's going to have the issues motivating itself that, for example, the Edmonton Oilers ran into on Wednesday, uh, a factor that I'm now going to be watching for, right? Like, which team's just flat and can't get out of it? I, I honestly think that might determine the outcome of some must-win games here now. But the Flames are not going to have that issue. They're going to bring it. You know, they've had, they have just way too much talent to lose, I think, at this point to this Jets team. And yet... You know, I've loved the way that this Jets team's competed. You know they're not going to make it easy for Winnipeg or for Calgary, and we certainly haven't seen the best out of Connor Hellebuck. Like, surely there's still the Connor Hellebuck playoff game uh, left in this Jets team. Like, there's one more life left of, of their sort of nine, I guess, that they've had this season, and, and one of them is Connor Hellebuck just absolutely turns into a force field in the net during a playoff game, surely. Uh, so I'm, I'm really fascinated to watch how this one plays out. Honestly, this has been probably my, like, this is my pet favorite series just because the temperature has been so high. I love listening to the, the Calgary Flames bench. Like, they're absolute cut-up savages throughout the entire game. And, uh, and I've been really impressed by just the overall resilience of this Winnipeg Jets team and some of the game within a game stuff, uh, especially that I think Paul Maurice is playing and, and in part was playing with, I think his comments on the Kachuk hit to just sort of reinforce that, you know, in the foxhole mentality that they've absolutely required to overcome just, you know, what might be an unprecedented loss of loss of talent, not just in game one, but over the last 15 months for this club. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I'm, we're going to let you go, but just very briefly, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about the team you cover, the Vancouver <laughs> right. Canucks. And, and and really the series that, I, you know, in some ways that time forgot, right? Mm-hmm. Like they play it late at night and it's sort of, oh, yeah, they're, those guys still, they're here, right? Like they're part <laughs> yeah. of it. And because, uh, but I just very quickly, uh, in game two, I think we saw the Vancouver Canucks team that we sort of imagined. JT Miller was very good. Um, do you expect more of that? Is there a pushback from a Minnesota Wild team that, you know, I think, again, not unlike Winnipeg, was easily dismissed by a lot of uh, hockey folk going into this? Or What's your quick take on um, how that series proceeds with Game 3 set for um, this evening? Yeah. This afternoon? Oh, sorry, this yeah, afternoon. Yeah, the early right. game yeah. today. So 
Fans yeah, on the East will finally get a chance to watch it. Yeah, we're going to see them. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm really curious to see this one because one, you know, just like Jets, Flames, the Canucks Wild series has had, you know, some bad intent uh, on both sides, some rough intent yeah. on both yeah. sides, and that's been great, right? Like that's been reliably fun to watch. Uh, you know, the way that Elias Pettersson. JT Miller and Brock Besser played together as a line in game two was a good reminder of why I think the Canucks were so overwhelmingly favored by our colleagues, where I think 80% of our colleagues picked them to advance. Um, You know, whereas game one looked like the Canucks had an opportunity to get jumped pretty thoroughly by a more veteran, cynical, uh, defensively solid team. Uh, we'll sort of see. I think this is going to be a closer series than I expected. I, I sort of thought Vancouver's edge in net and edge at the top end of their roster might matter a little more. So far, the edge on the top end of their roster has, uh, but the goaltending edge hasn't quite been there. I, I've been pretty impressed with Alex Daylock, and I've certainly been impressed by the way that the Minnesota Wild have been able to limit Vancouver's chances and just absolutely control the low slot. Uh, you know, one thing I'm expecting from this game three and game four now that we're in this back-to-back set here that that i think could prove decisive in this series one way or the other uh you know is whether or not vancouver's young legs start to matter uh and whether or not they're able to as a young team sort of keep up the intensity that this series has had in the first two games i i do think it's going to be a challenge especially against a wild team that you know there's there's just a lot of like hard scrabble uh, veteran guys who've been through it all, and and I do think when it comes down to it, like what team is more liable to have the type of game that the Edmonton Oilers had that bombing stand-up comic game? Um, <laughs> you know, I don't think it's Minnesota. Minnesota, Minnesota, and Calgary might be my two last picks among all the teams here, just because of the personalities on that club. So it'll be fascinating to watch here, especially with the back-to-back set. You know, uh, potentially proving decisive as we go on Thursday and Friday. Thomas Trance, you are a true pro. No one would know that you had scant hours of sleep and are at the crack of dawn up talking to me from Edmonton. So thank you. You should always read Thomas's coverage for us of the Western Conference and the Canucks and subscribe to the VanCast with Jeff Patterson and Drancer at The Athletic. You can follow Thomas at, at, just one at, not at, at, at Thomas Trance. Thomas, you are the king. Thank you for doing this. We'll talk again soon. Anytime, Scotty. My absolute pleasure. All right, that's it for this morning's edition of Two Man Advantage, the playoff edition. Uh, You should also, when you have a mind, as you're between periods or whatever, check out the full two-man advantage of this week as Corey Schneider of the New Jersey Devils joins Pierre Lebrun and I. And you should also check out the full 60, Craig Custance, with a cast of thousands, uh, including Pierre Lebrun, Ryan Clark, Katie Strang, and myself as we talk all things hockey, including uh, the social justice demonstrations, kneeling, what happens to the seven teams who are not in the playoffs and may not play again for a thousand years, you should check that out. And you should check out our comment section for each podcast episode at The Athletic App. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. 
to Two Man Advantage on Apple. And if you click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash Two Man Advantage, you'll get 40% off your subscription. And we will do this all again tomorrow morning. So don't miss a single episode. Thank you.